0: Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? You will be the baby of the year.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. Coming live again. From our respective bedrooms. We we're supposed to be in person this week for the first time since like, I don't know, August, but months. But here we are. <laughs> and uh, I'm back in quarantine, so it just lines up perfectly. I'm your host, Jake. Jake Brand. Alongside me, I got the regulars, Ben Neeson and Alex Powell. Ben, fresh off
2: <laughs> COVID.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, my lungs are at full capacity, and I'm feeling better than ever.
2: It was a special week this week. Ben finally found out what pants size you wore after 20 years on this planet.
3: <laughs> no, <laughs> just committed it to memory.
1: 38. Two. Uh, it's
3: a 30, 43.
2: Oh. I wear a I wear a I wear a 42, 29,
1: Our or new favorite. Our new favorite. Uh, Harrison Ford movie. Uh, Blade Runner, Ben's Pant Size. <laughs> great great joke, Jake. Is he uh, well, he
2: crash a plane in that one, too.
1: We, <laughs> we uh, know that <laughs> you guys don't care about us three. Who you're really here for is probably the best Brazilian we've ever had on the podcast. Without a doubt, the best homeschooler we've had on the podcast. And probably, <laughs> maybe in comparison to Doug Voigt, the smartest guy. And maybe the one with the most film and theater experience we've had. Um, we want to introduce... To you, Mr. Elliot Mogley hines How are you doing, Elliot?
0: Uh, great. It's great to be here. I'd just like to say suck it to Nathan, uh, my <laughs> yeah. fellow Brazilian homeschooler who also appeared on this podcast. Uh, Nathan, uh, I'm sorry. I don't actually mean that.
1: <laughs> no, you don't have to take it back. We know it's true.
0: I can't, I can't be mean for very long before it starts weighing on my soul
3: he had already paused the <laughs> podcast and is en route to your room right now <laughs> that's
0: unfortunate <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's good having you elliot we'll get into his top five movies in a bit but first we're here to watch david fincher uh the king's new movie mank it's a netflix original that came out i think for good like december 5th or something like that um uh, it's a 2020 film written, actually, the script is written by his late father, Jack Fincher, and it's starring Gary Oldman, Lily Collins, Tom Burke, and Charles Dance. That's about all I've got. Ben has to give his annual synopsis. Is it Wikipedia or off the dome today, Ben?
3: Uh, It's actually neither. I uh, wrote this one myself. Oh. oh! Yeah, I know, right? Ooh. <laughs> um tell me uh let me know if this is accurate at all um the film centers around the writing of the script for citizen kane by herman mank mankowitz and intersects between two different time periods early 1930s hollywood and mank's escalation within hollywood production company mgm's ranks and ruling class and in 1940 when he was commissioned by orson wells to write his next film was he heavily based off of exp- of off of his experiences at mgm we follow Mank as he gains and loses favor within the Hollywood elite. And years later, when family and friends appear to plead their opinion on the growing matter.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Good job. I'd, I'd yeah. say that was pretty accurate. It's <laughs> one of those movies that you like can't really describe, but you can also describe at the same time. <laughs> what? If that makes any sense. Yeah, I could say that for literally every movie. We'll we'll get into that later, but it's a little complex. First, we want to give it off to our guest Elliot, and just first on Elliot, what were your thoughts on the film?
0: Well, in terms of the technology, like the cinematography and the music, I think that Fincher doesn't really he doesn't really do bad work uh, in those categories. I mean, it's an absolutely gorgeous film. The black and white really works for me. And I think that it's it doesn't really come off as a gimmick. I think it's really shot like an old movie. Of course, that's kind of Fincher's style. Is, uh, he, do, he likes static camera. He doesn't like a lot of cuts and stuff like that. So I thought that was good. In terms of the actual story, I would have liked a little more clarity of focus because it kind of felt like in terms of what the movie was about thematically, it was a bit all over the place because you had the stuff in the past with him uh, trying to decide whether he wants to support Bill Nye, the science guy slash Upton Sinclair, <laughs> which was I thought was a very interesting cameo. And, uh, and then in the present, him trying to finish his script which I thought was a little underdeveloped. Here's the dog. Hey, Shadow.
1: Hey, Shadow. <laughs> In front of the program, Shadow. <laughs> but yeah, to, to piggyback off of Elliot, uh, the Bill Nye uh, cameo really gave off real like Neil Patrick Harris vibes from Gone Girl. That's kind of what I felt.
3: Okay, <laughs> you didn't you didn't pick you didn't notice him that quick, did you?
1: <laughs> well, I actually watched it with Elliot and his. Oh. Um, brother as he won't be named on the podcast, but he pointed it out like is that Bill Nye? immediately immediately Yeah, like the second it happened <laughs> Gosh dang it, the fantasy kicker just missed a field goal oh. I
3: didn't I didn't see it until after my uh first viewing and then second just skip through and then I saw the casting and saw that he was the him. so I didn't even notice. I guess I'm yeah, not I a,
0: just now I realized it was Bill Nye, So I'm not a certified actually,
3: uh, Bill Nye freak
0: seven days, away. <laughs> seven days there's a gotta week. there's got to be a, a story behind that like surely fincher wasn't just thinking to himself all right upton sinclair's got like two lines i need bill nye the science guy for that part he's absolutely perfect yeah Whoa. Did
1: david <laughs> fincher sleep with bill nye's wife and like what? just just have <laughs> did he have like blackmail on him like put put me in your movie for two lines or else <laughs> i'm gonna tell the world
3: Watch him That's just ridiculous. like odd. Bill Nye's just like a fanatic for Citizen Kane and lore of the film. So he actually just auditioned in the movie because he was really interested in it and knew all about Upton Sinclair already.
2: You know, so, it, it I, might be like Jake. It oh, might be like Jake said, with Neil Patrick Harris and Gone because obviously Fincher did both. He could have just been like, hey, what if we had like Bill Nye <laughs> for like one scene? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, would you no count Justin, would be... you
3: count Justin Timberlake in social network as sort of just like a throwing in a pop culture figure that works? Okay, Neil Patrick Harris is debatable, but just throwing well, in like a pop culture figure into those films.
2: <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris used to be kind of a household name. Uh, he was on that show when he was a kid and then How I Met Your Mother was pretty big too. So a lot of people know who Neil Patrick Harris is. But I Justin Timberlake had like kind of an actual role compared to Bill Nye who's in it for like one scene and you yeah. Patrick Harris. So,
3: We're just reading uh, into nothing. I
2: just, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's just funny. <laughs> Do you
3: have any first impressions on this, Alex?
2: Uh, yeah, I thought it was really boring. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Elliot really really hit it, uh, the nail on the head. I thought it was shot really well. I thought the black and white really did work. Uh, it sounded like the audio. The, however, they mixed the audio sounded like an old school, you know, black and white film. So stylistically, it was really, really well put together. But like, like I said, Elliot hit it on the head where it's just so jumpy. I got really confused at parts. I had trouble learning everyone's names, and uh, also it's just I kind of didn't care. I think uh, I watched uh, Carson Runquist did kind of a mini review on this on his David Fincher video. And he, he kinda he, he I, I agree with what he said. He doesn't think Mank is like he doesn't think Mink is a guy that's interesting enough that he deserves his own movie. Yeah, he's got kind of a cool backstory and he's kind of a he's kinda of an interesting guy, but as far as like a main protagonist in a full length feature film directed by one of the most well known and well accomplished directors ever, just doesn't seem right you know it's just kind of weird that this is the guy they picked to make a movie about compared to even orson welles or even a movie about them making it not just writing it you know so i just thought the whole thing was kind of boring and it didn't it it reels you in with how it looks and then you're you're trying to get through it and you're just bored and and it just i don't know it's just the story i don't think was very interesting
0: yeah,
1: so this past year, I've been trying to like just not watch any trailers, just so I kind of go into go into it blind, but I obviously knew that this movie was about Citizen Kane, and I thought that it was more about the making of it, which is yeah. kind of what I was expecting. Um, not necessarily kind of like the politics of the 1930s, uh, but while I'm on the politics of the 1930s, all of the Hitler jokes were so funny, and just like... <laughs> how people were declared like socialists and radicalists for being like yeah maybe that hitler guy over there is bad and everyone just like laughing at him i thought that that was such like an unnecessary but <laughs> funny touch and i know elliot was right there with me laughing at those
0: hitler Schmidtler. i want to talk about profits that's a fantastic line <laughs>
3: We were just talking about uh, Upton Sinclair too. He was like he's up there with Hitler on the list of people not to be taken seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it a joke or is it Okay, I'm not going to say tragic. It's not that deep. Uh but just how people would like dismiss <laughs> Hitler and the German people like that.
1: It's a little it's a little terrifying if true.
3: I don't know. Okay. Now I'm kind of on the opposite fence a little bit um with what uh, Alex the point that you were making I mean technically this film's very impressive but I thought the fact that it was so sporadic and would jump all over the place honestly invested me a little bit more into it because I wanted to know what all these pieces were I definitely was not catching everything on my first um run through the film and I needed a second one for me to actually like catch on to who was who and see what these relationships were that they were talking about early on in the film and how they actually developed when I had actually noticed on my first watch through that these people were um, worried about these people and how that affected Mank and his writing of the script and why he fell out of favor with them. But I think that it's a film that demands your attention. If you're interested in film history or, or if you're aware of the situation, which I wasn't. I'm I haven't watched Citizen Kane. I'm just I've just heard forever that it's supposed to be one of the greatest films of all time and I just I know nothing about it so going into this entire situation was completely new to me and it was actually really engaging for me. Like I was interested in the politics of the situation and how uh the higher-ups in Hollywood had actually played a huge role in how western western u.s's uh whole uh economic situation was handled just dealing with unemployment and different situations (laughs) like that
2: yeah yeah i see the thing about the difference between this film and other fincher films is other so david fincher films aren't just straight out of the gate action you know it's always kind of a slow build Zodiac kind of was straight out the gate because the opening scene is the kids are getting murdered. But for the most part, it takes a while to build the story and get the characters together. And this just felt like they were building the whole time. It didn't feel feel like it hit that peak like a Zodiac or a social network where it's just like you're locked in the whole time and you can't take your eyes away from the screen. I was just not entertained throughout most of this. It just kind of felt like this same ongoing like, there was no change in the characters' moods or dynamics. The one change was probably when Orson – well, when uh, when Mank was drunkenly at that party and then uh, when Orson Welles was yelling at him because he wanted credit for the script. Those were kind of the only times characters were out of their usual kind of demeanor. For the most part, it's just – it just felt really static, you know, like nothing big happened, it, you know, I felt. Nothing important, I guess. Jake, what did you think?
1: I think I kind of fall in the middle between you and Ben. Right, I wasn't like insanely engaged in the story, but I also didn't find it like boring. I definitely saw it as more of like a Oh, this is pretty interesting, but I think I would be able to get it more if I was like actually very well educated on it. Like I think you have to have in order to be able to enjoy this film to the fullest, I think you have to have insane... Or not insane, but like a very good knowledge of Citizen Kane. Which, I've seen it, but I don't have like an extensive background knowledge and haven't really done my research on it. So from that aspect of just kind of like a casual viewer, uh, I wouldn't say the story fell flat, but it's definitely way more complex than something that you can just like walk up to and completely figure out on its own. But I also that there wasn't a huge like rewatchability to, so Ben rewatched it, but there wasn't anything in it that like made me really want to rewatch it to get it more, if that makes any sense. So I kind of fell in the middle where I was like completely able to appreciate everything it did from a film and audio standpoint, just because I think that it was extremely brilliant and how it shot like a 1930s film. And I, I can definitely appreciate that. But the story itself, I'll, I'll just leave kind of as just lukewarm for me.
3: Elliot, are you well versed in the background of the this film
0: and uh, Citizen Kane in general? Uh, not really. I mean, I know a bit about the story, and I've seen Citizen Kane twice. I don't. I mean, people absolutely love it. I think it's pretty good, but I don't. I wouldn't say it's like one of the best movies ever. So I was definitely interested to learn more about it but it goes back to what I said what I said about uh the movie kind of lacking clarity. I couldn't tell if it wanted to be about the actual making, the writing of the script or more about the politics of Hollywood through the lens of writing the script.
1: Yeah, that yeah. it did kind of juggle between the two quite a bit, and then there was like the, the weird, like every ten minutes, just like Mank passing out drunk in his bed, which kind yeah. of I would say tied into the script writing, but it definitely wasn't repetitive, but it it, it hit the depressing note very well.
2: Mm.
3: Well, I think I think the elements of not necessarily the, hmm, the political nature of the executives in the film industry and in Hollywood and how big of a role they actually play in society. I mean, I haven't seen Citizen Kane. I don't even know what it's entirely about. I just I feel like that played a huge part, obviously, into the drafting of the script for it. I mean, when they talked about things such as looking at um, L.B., LB mayor and his character about how he'll be talking about how MGM comes first and then he walks up and then like demands that like half the pay of everyone who works there be cut while like he and Irving are still getting their Christmas bonuses and things like that. And how Meg made a good point when he was talking about <laughs> Well a lot of this film has to do with um making the argument I guess or against the stigma against socialism in a way. Which I mean, <laughs> that's a little prevalent right now still, but uh, just how we was talking I about. I think how... it's
2: I think it's becoming really prevalent again. There's a huge socialism movement currently between as far as like <laughs> the youth. like people yeah, are. Yeah, Mark's right. was right. <laughs> kids, kids from like kids from like 16 to like probably like 28 maybe. If you're, <laughs> you're
1: 28, I really. A kid. The 28
2: year old. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of people on socialists. I think Bernie Sanders has a lot to do with that and AOC. But anyway, go ahead, Ben. For The Sims.
3: Uh,
1: yeah, Citizen Kane uh, is no, actually based S- off of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: They should have had Citizen Bernie Kane. Sanders play Upton Sinclair. That would have been fantastic.
1: That actually would have been perfect.
0: That
1: would have been so perfect. It would have opened
3: the box of so many different, deeper messages that can be taken away from this <laughs> film. Would not distract it away at all from the overall message.
2: No, but. They should have casted Ben <laughs> Shapiro as Orson Welles and then never acknowledge it.
3: <laughs> I think.
2: <laughs> I just think that. <laughs> if you did want credit for the script that you hypothetically wrote.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right,
3: go
2: ahead, ben. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Ben.
3: Uh, I just think that the politics and the importance of Hollywood and media within it actually was a huge part of it. I mean, obviously with the character of Shelley, how in the middle of the film Sinclair was uh, making a speech and he actually said that he agreed with him and that he'd be getting his vote. But then just to have the chance to be able to direct, he um, directs phony newsreels that ended up actually what Sinclair had said himself costing the election and how heavily that weighed on him and Mank unwittingly gave the idea to Irving and um, actually illuminated onto not illuminated alluded to uh, phony, uh, that phony newsreel actually being seen as truth and that people would fall for it because they actually believe that King Kong is like 10 stories tall And like whatever the other one was, it just shows that like how people will really fall for anything if there's if the right talking puppet is saying it, like just think about how now how in this latest election, Trump was being endorsed by like Lil Wayne and Lil Pump. Like, (laughs) do you think like that, like a lot of their audiences like fell for that? Or do you think that there are no ulterior motives to why they would want to promote him in that way? It's just sort of things like that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That are still relevant. So
2: yeah, Gucci Gucci Gang was a good song. Thanks for bringing that up. Then
3: <laughs> glad you so, were attentive to my point Elliot,
1: there, Alex. So I know that you have some experience in script writing, not necessarily for movies, but um for plays. Back when we were in high school, what did you think about um this script in this particular mm-hmm.
0: movie? Like the process of writing it?
1: Like the the actual okay. script of it, not the script of writing Citizen Kane.
0: Oh, I thought it was very good. I thought uh, it was really, really sharp, and it gave a lot of material for Gary Oldman to work with. And I love Gary Oldman. He did a great job with his performance in this one.
1: Yeah, I, I, was, I was just about to add, like, we hadn't really talked about the performances, and I thought for sure, like, there were, two performances that just blew me away first being bill nye the science guy and second being gary oldman i just thought that uh oldman oldman for first just like really did kind of just play off of that like depressing and almost like forgettable character i want to say like there's nothing about manx character that like makes him want to be remembered like in modern time there's a reason why uh whatever his name uh wells orson wells gets more of the credit and it's just because mank was kind of a piece of garbage and he was a drunken lazy um no good husband and that's that Oldman really portrayed that in a in a very good way and i did think that that kind of added more to the dynamic between Oldman and tom burke's character (laughs)
2: <laughs> I thought Amanda Seyfried had a good performance too
3: I was just about to ask about her
2: yeah I thought, I thought her performance was really really good I thought uh, Gary Oldman was okay I, mean, I but I really liked Amanda Seyfried I'm not saying so, he was bad I should, I should give more credit than I did But
3: I was so confused about her dynamic with <laughs> with uh, W.R.
0: <laughs>
3: there's she so much her, she, sexual she kept thing. calling him Pops <laughs> and I was yeah. like so she like yeah. pause. She's like her dad or something, <laughs> and then <Yo. laughs> she was told to kick a little higher. And then I was like, pause, no. But I, yeah, she had a really good performance in how she towed the line, I guess, between um, being a sympathetic, not, it's not sympathetic, it's a poor term, uh, towards uh, Manx's cause or Manx's doubts and his criticisms of. LB and H and WR and how they um, basically were just discussing and dismissing um, Sinclair and were actively trying to avoid his election and basically just their ideals in general (laughs) and how she was able to be that middle ground between them both. And (laughs) I I really love the scene where, uh, um, Mank was trying to desperately like get her to pull the Sinclair films but then she didn't just because she
1: had already made her exit. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of just for finishing thoughts on this, one thing i have like to do uh, with films when I see them is compare them to like other work by the respective director and what's so hard with Fincher is he kind of likes to jump around perfect like every genre or try to perfect it. So it's so hard to compare this to anything else in like in his film categories because he's there's Fight Club which is like this psychotic thriller and then there's Gone Girl which is a mystery film and there's Social Network whatever that is, Zodiac a crime mystery. So like all those are just Joker. such different <laughs> Shut up. There's just so many different genres um, of film, so it's really hard to compare this to any of his other work. But where do you guys think that this fits in? Um, I'm trying to think of what the word would be. His film collection. I know filmography. that's filmography. Yeah, filmography. That's uh, well,
2: I think I think if you're comparing this to former adventure films, I think you have to go with Alien Three. <laughs>
1: I haven't seen the Alien movie since I was in middle school.
2: Then after that, I haven't either. I haven't either, but uh, I don't know. I think it's on the lower end. I think I I think there's an argument for David Fincher being the best director working. I think definitely he's up there with probably Christopher Nolan, Tarantino, and Martin Scorsese.
3: Uh, Denis Villeneuve.
2: And Denis Villeneuve. Shut up. And uh, Denis Villeneuve, (laughs) I guess but uh i think he definitely is in the conversation i don't think this i don't think if you're sitting down and you're comparing who's the best working director i don't think if you're making an argument for fincher you're going to use Mank as an example unless you're talking about how well it's shot i don't think the story really does anything
1: oh sorry i was gonna say and i think even though like i don't completely comprehend and understand the story. I can tell that Fincher went to extreme lengths and in-depth research to get the story right. And I have no, like I have no fact checking to back that up, but just with his past work in films, you know that he's going to do every little thing. I know that he shot several scenes in this over 100 times just to get it perfect. And I think like just in the argument for Fincher as the best director, It's hard to argue if there's any other director that has like that attention to detail and discipline to getting everything perfectly the way he wants it. And even though I don't know, like the entire background and the entire politics of the 1930s, I know that he went to great lengths to be able to portray it in an accurate and uh, interesting way.
2: He's such a perfectionist that even if the story lacks in any of his movies, they're always going to look really well done, you know. Uh does he have any original movies? Like original stories? Like original stories. Well, most wrote? of his are either based off Yeah, most of his are either based off books or uh, like stuff that actually happened like Gone Girl and uh
1: Just Fight and Girl a
2: Dragon. Fight Club's based on a book. Girl with the Dragon Tattoos is a book. Gone Girl's a book. Social Network's a true story. Zodiac's a true story. This is a true story. Alien 3, which is
0: just a part of a franchise. Uh, <laughs> what are some other things? Alien. What about uh, so 7, then? I was just looking at seven, that.
2: 7? I, I think Seven's a book, too.
3: No, uh, he, he didn't originally write that. There was a different screenwriter for 7. Uh. Is social network
2: based
3: off of a true story?
2: I don't think. So. I don't know. I
3: don't know what that was. Uh, it was. It was really original. I liked it a lot. Well, it is... It the
1: is guy amazing. that Jesse Eisenberg played? I wish he was a real person. It seemed really interesting. <laughs> I wanted to see where that would go.
2: I hope that guy never steals my data.
1: <laughs> I hope that guy's in charge of all my relationship status on Facebook.
3: What's on you for having a Facebook, bro? Yeah,
2: seven is a book. Wait. Seven might be an original one by him. I'm not it's not even that he like wrote it, just like the material wasn't there for him before he did it, you know. Should I you think have a, Benjamin, a point to this
3: before. question, or you're just asking. I don't know. I
2: just think it's I just think it's interesting how good he is without like like a lot of his stuff is just him retelling someone else's story, and I think it's interesting how well he does it, you know. Like like Tarantino writes all of his movies and that's why they're so great, is because this comes from the mind of Quentin Tarantino. Social Network isn't <laughs> David Fincher's story, it's someone else's story, but he just put it in movie and made it look really good.
1: You know, Benjamin Button, the real life man. We gotta have, we gotta have a, we have to have a pulp fiction button for Alex Benjamin
2: Button is a a what?
3: When you need to have a pulp fiction button for Alex. Every time you Fine. reference Tarantino. Because you do it a lot.
2: Because <laughs> he's good. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus. I'm not a Pulp Fiction fanboy, but I can respect a good movie when I see it.
3: Douche. Okay. Alright, we want to get into
1: favorite scenes. Uh,
2: do you guys have any negatives?
1: I think we kind of... This was a unique review because I think we kind of just like did it all in one. Like loose, I think we did our, loose our positives and our negatives at the same time. But if anyone has any extras, go right ahead.
2: Uh, I I would like to see more relationship between him and his wife. I feel like we didn't really see a whole lot of that. I feel like they could have shown more of it, you know? It seemed like it was kind of an interesting relationship.
3: I, th- all I like mean, that. they delved into it a good amount, but they always just kept returning to the, <laughs> oh, why do you love me part? And they're just like, I don't know. I've, and then that was it each after- time.
2: So after, I just, I literally just finished The Sopranos today. So after watching seven seasons of Sopranos, there's a lot of similarities between the relationship and Tony and Carmela's in The Sopranos, which I thought was kind of interesting and ironic. But uh, Elliot, do you have any more positives or negatives for uh, getting into favorite scene?
0: Um, What was the point of the housekeeper character with the husband who was who was lost at sea and then reappeared because she seemed like she was just there to kind of fill time.
3: Just kind of uh, spur exposition in a way.
0: Oh, I love exposition. Or just
3: have like a Z plot in the film. But, There were yeah. a lot
1: of plots in this.
3: <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, she obviously was just sort of like the... I forget the official term for it. Anyway, she was the Rashida Jones from Social Network uh, character <laughs> in this film, where she just asks questions directly to the main characters. like, wait, is this the inspiration for this? And he's like, well, actually it went like this. And then, flashback. But, Rashida Jones. <laughs> if you remember her in the movie, she was just like asking <laughs> questions directly to the protagonist. So it was... More or less, I think, just driving the plot, providing exposition. I don't know. I don't know what the him some plot p- with her husband was supposed to be p- about. Hope, I guess.
2: Can I give him some company, too? Because the German housekeeper wasn't really... or The nurse or whatever wasn't really much company, I felt, as much as the other chick was. <laughs> hey, man, I don't know. Why was he even like <laughs> up in that house anyway with a broken leg? Uh, he was
3: drying he was out. The script.
2: Well, yeah, he was writing the script, but he couldn't do it in like a hotel or somewhere.
3: That's uh, true. I think he was trying to dry out and focus on writing. But obviously uh, he our- drank
1: anyways. Yeah. <laughs> All
2: so, right, you guys got a I'll get into
1: one? my favorite scene. It, it was definitely the one where Mank confronted Orson Welles at the dinner drunkenly and was like you gotta give me credit I just thought at that... the
3: dinner you mean when he invited Orison to the ranch no like gosh, he wasn't well, confronting Orison and he wasn't asking he was, for yeah. credit he was LB and WR
1: yeah those two, those two when he was confronting them for credit I thought that it was just like the climax of the movie and I, I don't know There as much as we've said about this and just like the the filmmaking that went behind it and the technical side of things, there weren't a lot of parts of the story that really just stood out, and that was the first one that came to my mind of like kind of the climax or something that got me on the edge of my seat uh,
2: uh Elliot, what was your favorite
0: scene? I'd probably have the same uh same thought. I really liked that scene because. The cinematography, I think, was really, really, I don't know. It was very unobstructive. It really let you get into Gary Oldman's performance. That was one of the scenes where I was completely engaged because I just thought that Gary Oldman was killing it. It was just following him around the table, yeah, that was... (laughs) showed all angles absolutely roasting everyone he was essentially initiating the comedy central roast of lb and wr (laughs) they couldn't handle the
3: heat everyone at the table had to get out of the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) everyone at the table was quite literally saying not my table (laughs) Ben, what was your favorite scene my favorite scene was um, I don't know if you can even really count it really. It was it was the night of the election and it played into um Shelley's eventual suicide and his over racking with guilt because I felt that culmination of Mank being the one who accidentally gave uh, Irving the idea for the films just on an aside comment that he said was too clever for his own good that they actually took and ran with and gave to Shelley, who actually brought it out and it ended up working and the fact that like in a pessimistic way he brought that about and then unfortunately with the character of Shelley's Parkinson's and his guilt he just felt like there was no real reason to continue and just that whole interaction and how that tragically played out. I thought that was really well done, and I was really focused in for that scene.
1: Alex,
2: uh, well, honestly, I, li- I really like the scene where Mayor is addressing the MGM employees, you know, telling them how their cuts, their pay is going to get cut. Because he seemed, I don't know, I just really seemed like how evil the you know top heads at uh in Hollywood can be. Cause he acted all emotional and it was just like kind of a whole act. I don't know. I thought that was, was a really interesting scene.
3: It was super hypocritical because beforehand had yeah. yeah, just been saying how he spends a million dollars on ideas that never go to screen.
2: Yeah. So I thought that was a super interesting way. And I thought that really kind of, I think that was the perfect example to kind of get us in these heads of these top executives and just how real shitty of people they actually are.
1: <laughs> yeah. Last week, uh, a friend of the program, Simpson College, sent out an email like, we know how hard of a financial year it's been and how hard of an emotional um, year it's been for everyone. So in result, we're going to be increasing tuition by 4% over the next fiscal year.
3: Irving Elementary. Yeah,
2: yeah. Roll storm, roll storm, roll storm.
1: It literally went from like... And we just completely know the difficulty financially. So, in result, we're going to be <laughs> <laughs> tuition. <laughs> They're trying
3: to Fuck stay afloat, game. man. Can't hate them.
1: Yeah, I know. I know.
3: <laughs> That's the game.
1: So, Elliot, you want to yeah, give us your rating out of 10 first? Uh,
0: I'll go... I'll go 7. I know I I was pretty hard on it but on the whole i still i still enjoyed the movie like i said fincher doesn't really make bad movies even when he makes a misstep like i would say this movie is it's still better than like i don't know 60 percent of the trash i watch but that's possibly because i just watch a lot of trash
3: that's the that's the punishment for being in the household that you are that's true
1: (laughs) nate and his lego movie or whatever it is
0: oh yeah who would gosh who would like the lego movie
1: it's gonna be in your top five isn't it i guess we'll save that
0: yeah
1: uh alex what'd
0: you give it
2: uh i wrote with elliot i think i'm giving a seven uh like i said it reeled me in with its cinematography and style and uh, kind of a kind of a big name actor, and Gary Oldman, and I mean the uh, Seafreak Freak, and uh, the Neil Patrick Harris, or not Neil Patrick Harris, the Bill Nye cameo. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know,
1: you from How I Met Your Mother was in this movie.
2: Hey, from Doogie <laughs> Hauser. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, reeled me in with that. Uh, I couldn't keep my attention with the actual plot and actual meat of the story. I th- I thought the whole thing kind of fell flat as far as you know what they're trying to say so i'll give it a seven
1: yeah i'll uh i'll stick on that train um after another david fincher movie i'll give this one a seven a seven um
3: <laughs> yep i'm i'm jumping off that train and i'm going up i'm giving it an eight. Oh. i oh i really <laughs>
2: train jump.
3: yeah i know right i mean We didn't get I didn't mention the cinematography a whole lot, but I thought the black and white choice was excellently was I thought it was an excellent choice, and I'm glad he held out to wait until he was able to do it in black and white because I thought that engaged you in the framing a lot more. He was able to play with a lot more subtler features that really aged it down. Uh, Lights for some reason looked really well. (laughs) The way that the glow that they would cast off it really projected all over across the screen and i don't know just the performances were all across the board very good and i thought that the story was really engaging it really encouraged a second watch for me in a good way i thought so yeah the worst part about it was the big mouth ad at the end <coughs> 10 10 seconds into the credits as soon as i was just waiting it wafted over me i just had to deal with a big mouth Assaulting my TV.
1: Everyone's favorite actor. In the game,
3: <laughs> this is an attack to enemy of the program. Brock Elbert.
1: Albert. <laughs> Albert.
2: <laughs> All right.
1: So while we have Elliot here on the line uh, on the Turbo Team Podcast Network, uh, we want to dig into <laughs> our tradition of getting our guest's top five favorite films in. Luckily enough, we know that Elliot will provide more insight and uh, a more well-thought-out list than his brother did way back in August. So, Elliot, do you want to kick us off at number five? Uh,
0: Number five is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
1: A great movie. Watched Mm -hmm. it last week.
0: Uh, I love that movie. Uh, I think that... The topic of mental health is something that I'm really interested in and really passionate about, so I really appreciate its portrayal of that. Uh, Jack Nicholson turns in a great performance. It's surprisingly funny, and it's so heartfelt how he—I mean, he's pretty rough around the edges, but you can really tell how he really cares about these people, and he wants them to— Live some semblance of a normal life, and yeah, I I just love that movie, yes, and I also gosh. really like the editing.
2: <laughs> did you uh did you watch the new Netflix series uh about nurse Ra- about Nurse Ratchet?
0: Uh no, <laughs> I I, I <laughs> do have any was, interest too. too. So it, it, Elliot, it
1: Elliot, to continue our conversation that we had a couple weeks ago, do you feel like Nurse Ratchet is that evil? Um when Nate when your brother and I talked about this, it inspired me to rewatch this film, and I think I agree with him. I don't think Nurse Ratchet was evil like at all, like I thought that she could come up as like pretentious and stuff, but I believe that she just did what any reasonable person would do. What do you think
0: I agree I think that sh- I think that she kind of similar. She's a very interesting foil to Jack Nicholson's character because she's also a little rough around the edges, but she I think really does have the best interests of the patients at heart. And the obviously her using Billy's mother as an emotional bludgeon there at the end, that's a pretty gross error in judgment. But, aside from that, I think that she is on the whole not a terrible person in the book. she's much more explicitly evil she's It's much more clear that she just hates these people and she wants them to suffer and be sad.
1: That's fair. what's your number four?
0: Number four is blade Runner twenty forty nine <sighs> Hey. Seven,
1: like, I want to say 15 of the Turbo Team podcast, maybe.
0: I know sure. you're all <laughs> familiar with, and obviously Nathan's familiar with it. Blade uh, in 2049, that's just a fan. That's just a fantastic movie. That visual effects are stunning. It's some of Roger Deakins' best work. He got an Oscar for it, which I was very pleased with. Ryan Gosling, I know. I know a lot of people like to make fun of how reserved his performance was, but it really worked for me because I, it really added it added a sense of thank you, thank you roboticism, for not to, you know pun intended to his performance, and it made the moments when he did break, like when he's uh, when he's in the memory place and he starts screaming because he thinks that he's the child. It makes those moments I think a lot more impactful. Mhm, and
3: especially when he realizes he isn't the child too.
0: That too. I totally. also like the moment where he grabs the one guy and just breaks his spine over his knee, because that's really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah. for sticking up for my performance in that one. I thought I thought I did a pretty good <laughs> job. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, uh, it's your number three.
0: Uh, number three is Silence of the Lambs. Ooh! <laughs> I uh, I am a sucker for uh, great villains, and Hannibal Lecter. He's just an incredible villain, and Anthony Hopkins' performance is completely bone chilling. And also the other guy, I don't remember what the heck his name is, Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Uh, he, he's really freaky, and uh, the Joey Captain Foster. Yep. What?
3: <laughs> uh, the police captain from Monk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll take your word for it, because I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen that show. it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, but it's just a really good mystery.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a fantastic one.
0: Have you watched uh, the Hannibal show at all? I have. I watched all three seasons when it came onto Netflix. Oh, so I'm presuming you were a fan of it. Yeah, I really liked it. It was. Just, there were times when I was very frightened because I'm what? a I'm actually a really big wuss. I really dislike <laughs> horror movies because I'm a coward. But so it's usually usually I won't watch something scary unless I think it's really good and I thought that Hannibal was really good despite all the frightening things.
3: I am that exact same way. I uh me and my roommate Karen Wadley actually <laughs> stopped watching it a little bit just because I don't know it's it, oh, it's surprisingly <laughs> grotesque for being an NBC show. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh
1: yeah,
3: but I gave it a try.
1: Is it more grotesque than The Office?
0: No, nothing uh, which could be season more of The Office? That.
1: <laughs>
2: the
0: third one.
1: Nothing's nothing's more terrifying than Andy Bernard and Ed Helms being the boss. <laughs>
0: That bit where Michael Scott stumbles upon the gruesome twisted remains of Dwight after Jim murders him and turns him into a human mobile. That's just terrifying, man. Yeah, (laughs) that was a
3: weird episode. They didn't need to throw that dream sequence in there. That was too far.
1: (laughs) All right, Elliot, bring us home to number two.
0: Number two is The Dark Knight. Uh, I had to throw Christopher Nolan in there because Nolan's my favorite director and i think that the dark knight it kind of like logan it's a really good superhero movie but uh, well not superhero i guess well, i'm not I, I won't get into superhero hero whatever but it's just a really good movie in general cuz obviously you have heath ledger's joker which is fantastic but there's a really thought provoking story of asking How far you can go to defeat somebody as monstrous as Joker without kind of slipping into his world. And I think that that dichotomy between Batman and Two-Face and Batman's refusal to go down that road and Two-Face's acceptance of it, I find absolutely fascinating as an ethical and philosophical question.
1: That's one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of The Dark (laughs) Knight.
0: Well, that's why I'm here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there he is. So uh, is number one Cats... The 2019.
0: Uh, actually, I'm afraid Sorry, not. Jesus it used really to well. be, but then I actually watched Cats, and it was one of the <laughs> it was one of the worst things I've ever seen, and it made me want to gouge my eyes out with a screwdriver.
3: It was your number one before you watched it. <laughs> yep.
0: So Cats ended up being replaced by uh, my all-time favorite movie, which is No Country for Old Men. That's you know. Here is where I will, unironically, and not take back, suck at Nathan, because the ending to No Country for Old Men, I don't care what you say, the ending is genius. Uh,
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of philosophy, No Country for Old Men is endlessly bleak and nihilistic, and I just just love that shizzle. (laughs) Antoine Chigurh's character, his ideals, if that's what you could call it, because Carson Wells, you know, he says he has ideals, he has principles that transcend money. It's such a terrifying idea of just being so, I don't know, he's just so, the scope of his philosophy of total nihilism I find extremely interesting and frightening and the performances are all fantastic. Roger Deakins again, he's my boy. He is shooting the shooting the heck out of this movie. And Tommy Lee Jones, he's so battered and beaten down and his performance is so reserved. He's always ruined by what he's seen in his job it's it's one of the most depressing things i've ever seen and i i can't get enough of it
2: yeah that's the that's the third time that's been someone's favorite movie on this podcast
1: who's the other
2: mine and then current
1: oh i okay. forgot that was current's favorite so it's pretty popular it's a it's a friend of the program i guess
2: yeah, shout out to Cohen brothers
1: as many of you guys know, Christmas is coming up. Christmas is a um, holiday. Have yeah, you
2: guys ever heard of it?
1: Celebrated by <laughs> pretty much the entire world, but predominantly by Western civilization. Uh, and it is traditionally celebrating the uh, birthday of Jesus Christ or Santa Claus, um, depending on some people who celebrate that's it. And, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, that's Christmas. Just kidding. We are...
2: All right, uh, thanks for uh, tuning to this week's episode of the Toro Team Podcast. Christmas <laughs>
1: is generally pretty popular uh, amongst people. And uh, in Hollywood, too, they make a lot of Christmas movies. So we're going to be talking, I guess, about some Christmas movies that we like. Um, this was Ben's idea, so... <laughs> ben, no, it wasn't. Ben, what's your favorite Christmas movie?
3: Uh, I'm going to take mine so you guys like to think of another one. But... Uh... Yeah, my family isn't too original. They listen to this, so they're going to love when I tell them that. But we watch like the same three Christmas movies every year. Um, That's usually Home Alone. I forget the other one. And my choice, which is Elf. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of normie. I didn't know it was normie until I realized other people had watched it once I hit middle school, and they started to develop their personalities after Elf. But... (laughs) Yeah, it's it's all around a really good Christmas movie, and it's seen as a modern staple for the season. For a reason. <laughs> <laughs> no modern staple for the season for a reason.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, Will Will Ferrell's performance is bone chilling.
3: Uh, John Favreau's uh, performance as the Doctor, that was that was such a neat little Easter egg. I love that.
2: <laughs> and uh, not, not to forget everyone's favorite quirky girl, Zoe Deschanel.
3: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> you guys can stop making fun of mine and say your
1: own now. <laughs> I, d- I really thought I really thought you were gonna call it a modern masterpiece <laughs> when you were talking.
3: <laughs> I'm realistic. Come on. All right, unless you can tell that you unless you can hear the passion in my voice when discussing Christmas movies.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: You know how much <laughs> weight
3: they hold with me.
0: Elliot, what's your favorite? Uh just as a quick aside, do you guys consider Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Sure.
1: <laughs> I, I so. seen it. <laughs> Whoa. Really? I watched about half of it and then fell asleep on the plane ride to Ethiopia, so yeah, we'll call it a Christmas movie.
0: All right, well, that is not my favorite Christmas movie. That's a dishonorable mention to anyone who thinks that's a Christmas movie. That is preposterous, but that's not the point. Uh, I think my favorite Christmas movie is a movie called Arthur Christmas. I don't know if anyone's heard about it, but it's uh, it's got James McAvoy and Bill Nighy in it and uh it's the story of the uh, this one of the sons of santa trying to get a present that was missed that w- a child was missed and he's trying to get the present back to the kid and it's a surprisingly heartfelt and funny movie so yeah i really like that one <laughs>
1: yeah
0: jake what's yours
1: well uh I did realize a couple of weeks ago that the only Christmas movies that I'd seen within the last five years were uh, Elf and Christmas Vacation. So I branched out last week and rewatched the mas- the um, masterpiece of the holidays with Macaulay Colkin Home Alone. Uh, but I think for mine, I'm going to have to settle with John Favreau's... Um, actually, no, he didn't direct it, but uh, he starred in it, Iron Man 3. That doesn't
3: count. If that would have counted, that would have been mine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. My my all-time favorite uh, with absolutely no due respect to Chevy Chase uh, Christmas Vacation Chevy Chase is yeah, no, no, ruined no, community no, no, no. but uh, it, it is my favorite Christmas movie of all time just because I think that's like pretty much the one that has always been a tradition for me to watch at Christmas time. Uh, it's pretty funny. It definitely hit a lot closer to the to giggle city when i was younger but it's still it's it's still some it still sometimes sends me to the laugh factory uh but if i if i didn't choose christmas vacation i'd probably go with um days of future past the like a season 25 simpsons episode and it's a christmas episode and it is actually genius No, it's a, it's a TV episode, but it's actually genius and one of like the best Simpsons episodes ever. And it takes place in season 25, which is even harder to believe. But yeah, we'll go with Christmas Vacation and a uh, big screw you to Chevy Chase while I'm at it.
2: Okay. Oh, all my hosts hate Chevy Chase. All right, so mine were taken, which were Christmas Vacation and Elf. Those are the only I don't really care for Christmas movies, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I, I think they're all the same yeah. cliche. They're all kind of corny. Four Christmases. (laughs) It's a movie that I saw half of one time. Are you
3: kidding? Uh, You don't you're not enthralled by the businesswoman from the big city and then the holiday hunk showing her the reason for the season. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a winning formula for you.
2: (laughs) Can't see that I am. So since Christmas vacation and elf were taken, I gotta go with Christmas Mail. Uh that's that's a joke that I think only Ben would get. But uh so instead of picking one that I like and just kind of reaching going out on a limb, I'm gonna pick one that I absolutely hate, and I hate Frosty the Snowman. I think it sucks <laughs> so much. It's so annoying. The plot is terrible. I don't care about a stupid snowman. The girl is annoying, magic isn't <laughs> real. The whole side plot with the guy trying to get his magic hat back sucks. I hate Frosty the Snowman. Don't you ever show that movie around me?
3: I've I've never known someone to hate on something before 1970 so hard.
1: <laughs> One thing I I hate if we're talking about Christmas movies we hate I cannot stand Polar Express. I hate that movie with a burning passion, and I don't know what it is about it like the realistic animation. That movie gave me nightmares as a kid, and that. I can't even tell you what it's about. It's about like a That's train. Why.
2: That Tom Hanks was on the on the on the roof and then they dance and they drink hot chocolate. You didn't like that? No, they the, I hated did
3: they that. Take movie. the train to Epstein's Island.
1: Jesus. <laughs> 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 you said Tom Hanks. <laughs> Meeting up with Stephen Hawking. Oh my gosh, uh, I probably lovely. get no on.
3: I'm stamp that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't actually. That was just a joke. Keep it in. I want people to know how funny I am.
2: <laughs> ben, ben and Elliot Do you guys have any Christmas movies you hate?
3: Uh If I do I forgot them
0: Elliot? Well um, oh, I actually hate the sequel To Frosty the Snowman Frosty Returns If you hate Frosty the Snowman, then my goodness, Frosty Returns is going to make you want to turn your TV into kindling. I guess you can't burn a TV, but you'll want to. (laughs) That movie is just idiotic. Frosty (laughs) the Snowman is a doofus just wandering around like a buffoon doing nothing. And there's a cat, you know, they try to make the enemy, this guy that makes melt meltable snow into a spray can so all you have to do is spray your driveway with that to melt the snow that's a fantastic invention and then the the I cat is that. wandering around with it you know like a like an american with a a a ar-15 just wandering around with it shooting it willy nilly i don't know what he plans to do with that this is really rambly but frosty returns <laughs> Flip you, I hate you, and I wish you would die.
3: I thought you were just doing a bit, but then you actually backed it up with the plots.
1: (laughs) (laughs) While we're on it, Home Alone 3, starring uh, not Macaulay Culkin as the kid. I don't know why that movie was ever made. It's starring uh, Alex Lin as the kid. (laughs) Household name.
2: Who is that? Dude, the only people who like Christmas movies are children and Disney adults. Other than that, everyone hates them. I, I feel like I love, a ton of people hate Christmas movies.
3: I love how people say that Home Alone launched uh, Macaulay Culkin's career, but then that was it.
2: <laughs> he was in Uncle Buck, but... Yeah, Uncle Buck was style.
3: before it.
2: Yeah, Uncle Buck launched Macaulay Culkin's career. Rest yeah, in peace, no, John King.
3: People keep saying that Home Alone launched his career, but then that was also the end of
2: it. (laughs) What else was it?
1: (laughs) Do you want to read an audience review of Home Alone 3? Studios Uh, are smarter than we give them credit for. And believe me, the last thing I enjoy doing is giving those greedy, money-hungry twits in Hollywood any kind of credit. But calling this Home Alone 3 was a stroke of genius marketing. That that Ready? was the kid. That, the kid that, that, that plays really him really kind
2: good. of looks like uh, kind of looks like Heath Ledger grown up. Okay, sick.
1: <laughs> that don't <laughs> that won't end well. Rest in peace.
2: <laughs> Rest in peace to Heath Ledger. All right, nice. All
1: right, we gotta end this. Uh, again, we want to thank the best Muggle Hands. Uh,
2: Rudolph sucks too. I hate Rudolph. Rudolph's a little Whoa. bitch. No, that's not, that's <laughs> <a> good. That's <one. laughs> good.
1: Whoa! <laughs> I guess while we're at it, I'll get I'll give Charlie Brown Christmas some love. It's not as good as Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Or wait, what's the original Charlie Brown? Is it just Charlie Brown? Uh,
3: uh, Charlie it's Brown uh, P. lost P. in New York.
1: <laughs> You're laughing. Charlie Brown's lost in New York. You're laughing. <laughs> All right. The anyways,
2: Santa Claus, Santa Claus Three starring uh, uh, Pee Wee Herman sucks too.
1: I haven't seen any of the Santa Claus movies
2: They're really bad Well, the first one's not terrible The second one's okay And the third one's awful Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas
1: Alright, we gotta stop talking about Christmas movies We wanna uh, Wish a a happy Christmas A Merry Christmas to all (laughs) of our Turbo Team listeners And uh, we wanna thank Elliot Moglihan's for Joining the program and adding some Delightful insight. Until next time uh, for our year-end review um, before we move on to 2021, I'm Jake Bren with the Turbo Team Podcast, and we want to thank you for listening.
2: Shout-out jingle all the way. <laughs> we hope <End> you
1: <laughs> <laughs> Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.